What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. In today's episode, I was joined by a very special guest. I had Eric Bach from Bach Performance on the show, writer for T Nation, strength and performance coach for a long time, and now helping everyday people look great naked, which who doesn't want to look better naked? If you want to understand uh, science and what really works for body transformation, then you're going to love this episode. Um, Eric has been doing it at a high level for a very long time, been in the industry a while and knows his stuff. And you're going to learn from him in just a second. But before we get into all the juicy details of our conversation, first and foremost, let's help spread the love from this show. Share it with somebody who needs to hear this message. Share it with anybody who wants to look better, feel better, perform better, move better. They're out there and they need this information. And you can help by, first of all, subscribing to the show. Second of all, you can post a screenshot of the episode to your stories on Instagram and tag us both. You can tag me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, and you can tag Eric at Bach Performance. And if you leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you'll be entered to win a free supplement of your choice from one of our sponsors, Legion Athletics, Organifi, or Cured Nutrition, any product that you want, all yours, totally free, just for leaving a five-star review. And if you don't know how to do that, just open up the podcast app on your phone, go to the search button, type in Mind Over Macros, hit the thumbnail, scroll all the way down until you see the ratings and reviews, and then just hit write a review, say a little something, submit, and you are entered. And every single Wednesday, we announce the winner. With that being said, I've got nothing else for the intro. That's all the housekeeping. Now we can get into my conversation with Eric Bach. All right, what's up, everybody? I am joined today by a special guest. I've got Eric Bach from Bach Performance on the show. Eric, thanks so much for joining me. Mike, thanks for having me, brother. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, Eric is somebody that uh, I had the fortune uh, to connect with. It was like, you, you're a name that I've I've known for a while and then randomly uh, found ourselves at a, a workshop together. So it was good to, to meet in person and um, get to uh, learn a little bit about you and your background and, you know, have some drinks together and things like that. So uh, yeah, I would love to hear kind of like the full story of kind of how you got into this industry, where it all began, whatever you feel like provides enough context for, for the listeners to, um, you know, understand kind of the journey from where you started to where you are now. Yeah, man, no doubt. So very fortunate to grow up in a family that was active. Um, remember seeing my dad do martial arts when I was a kid, he would come home, stretch, wanted to be like dad, I would kind of jump on the ground and, and do some of those same things, right? So I had a, a love for being, you know, physically active and playing sports, all of that stuff at a young age. Now, that love didn't translate to uh, a normal growth spurt for me, right? And so I remember being 14 years old, five foot two, 103 pounds, played football. And, um, you know, basically that previous summer, every one of my friends and classmates seemed to have developed into a, you know, more of a man. And I was still like a little boy zone. Right. And so I vividly remember this one football practice. I was uh, covering a kick. There was one guy who could beat me to the end zone or he could run through me. He decided to run through me. I provided less resistance than a blade of grass. And personally, I had never felt so really physically and mentally weak. Like my self-esteem was already kind of in the gutter. You know what I mean? Just being like the smallest kid basically in my class at that point. Um, and, you know, I could hear the taunts, 
the jeers, with a little bitch, all this little stuff, like, you know, as I was peeling my carcass off the ground. And um, in that moment, I never really felt so, again, insecure and inconsequential. And I had been like somewhat physically active at that point, but, you know, I was like piecemealing workouts together out of magazines, you know, the old muscle magazines, all of that stuff before the social media days and didn't really have a plan. And, you know, one of my coaches saw my body language. He saw the way I was carrying myself. And he's like, Eric, come up to the gym with me after, uh, after practice. And so we just started working on things a little bit differently, right? We started doing power cleans, deadlifts, squats, a lot of the big basic movements. And he's like, Eric, just keep like showing up to this. Let's go before school. And he was there every single day. And I had that guidance and that mentorship right away at a really young age. And that really snowballed into, you know, I had somewhat maybe a little bit of Napoleon syndrome, but like the underdog kind of mentality where I'm like, to be the best, you got to outwork the rest, all these kind of like cheesy sayings that you would hear, you know, in high school sports. But they really left an imprint because I had mentorship and somebody to guide me in the right way and the accountability to show up consistently. And so once my body naturally started to grow, you know, I had this work ethic and had developed a great foundation and was a pretty good athlete. Um, unfortunately, that didn't always manifest in terms of uh, had some injuries and stuff like that. So I went to play college or went to play football in college and, um, you know, beat up shoulders, tore my hamstring multiple times, five foot nine white dude, you know, not on a scholarship. So like, you know, rather not beat the crap out of my body, but I love the preparation side, which led me to really dive into sport performance where that kind of migrated into NFL combine training, working with elite level athletes um, at a really young age, which was a, which was a great experience. And so my initial passion was like, how can I help people, you know, build high performance bodies? How can I help people not, you know, suffer some of the same injuries and issues that I had, but I learned pretty quickly in the industry that, you know what, like there are not many guys who are 35, 40, 45 in this industry. And if they are, they're, they're not moving well, they're probably not making a whole lot of money either. And so uh, this is when online training really started to build. And I was looking at what my clients were struggling with. A lot of, you know, executives, you know, people who were athletes at this point, I'm like, what did they miss? Well, they missed that practicality and sustainability outside of the gym. And so I really started building the online coaching aspect of my business now about 12 years ago. So when I was fresh out of college and, um, that's really just kind of snowballed from that point, right? Kind of went from like the high performance sports component to building my own uh, my own coaching business. Love it. So the first thing is, have you since seen the dude that ran through you now that you're all jacked and, and stronger to be like, hey, Eric, <laughs> you want to you want to run that play back one more time? Yeah, you know what? Like he's still pretty uh pretty pretty built from what I hear, but also not in a great straights. Also peaked in high school. And uh, developed a few issues, so I'm not going to rub that in too much. You know, I try to try to brush that off, but you know, my mentality really changed once my body started to develop as well, right? Like that speaks to the confidence aspect uh, for what you can do physically and just how you approach every situation. And like, that was such a, a paradigm shift for me at a young age. I'm like, hey, you know, there's more to it than just having the muscle. It's like, what does the mindset help you develop? What were some of the early influences? Because I think you know, having the fortune of somebody showing you you know, compound movements and, you know, actually doing some work in the weight room at a young age. That was something that I definitely uh, missed out on. I didn't get into lifting till much later in life. Uh, so be, really having somebody kind of show you the ropes at a young age is definitely beneficial. What were some of the kind of early influences as you went into the sport performance side of things that really, you know, you were kind of gravitating towards towards that industry? Yeah. So like the first thing, you no, know, this original coach was, was a Coach Morgan, Coach Phil Morgan, he's probably 50 years old at the time, but um, he was a competitive Olympic weightlifter, right? And so 
rope his forearms like steel cables just feel like an absolute brick shit house and i'm like hey man that's pretty cool if i can look like that in the future you know um so that was one aspect and like i still remember him quoting lee haney you know and and being like just really reinforcing many of the principles that you need it's it's not how hard you train it's not how long you train it's again like the intensity with which you approach it and making sure that you're focused on the basics and getting really good at them. And so I found that out really quickly by focusing on a few simple exercises and getting strong and chasing the performance aspect, really how that helped me develop as an athlete and develop my own structure and really nerd out at everything related to it. Uh, but building off of that, when I was in college, I had a great professor, his name was uh, Dr. Jeff Janet, and he did a lot of stuff. We had a semi-pro baseball team. And so when I was in our human performance you know, program, my undergrad, I was able to do a lot of things directly with there, right? So it was like working with collegiate baseball players in the off season. I was coaching the wrestlers strength and conditioning program and building up a lot of these skill sets early on um, directly through communicating with people who were teaching me and mentoring me, trying to do, sing, do things differently than everybody else. That built, um, and like, you know, when I had that aspect, I had my like CSCS before I graduated college and I was able to, you know, really lock into a great gym when I moved out to Colorado fresh out of college. I had to change my environment. Um, I would have been an absolute party animal still, you know, for way too long if I stayed in my uh, my previous environment. And for me, the first place I ended up working was a, a, a huge gym downtown attached to the financial district in Denver. And the owner was a strength coach of the Denver Nuggets, right? So I immediately got that access directly to high-level athletes and really seeing the way that they're doing things. At that point, it was like 2012, 2013, NBA was coming off the lockout. And so here I am working with NBA players coming off the lockout after their training in China, you know, as a basically still as a kid, you're right. So I had that great influence and building upon that, I, I really invested heavily in like mentorships with great coaches versus chasing the income aspect right away. And then I worked for Lauren Landau, who um, runs a, I think there's a couple of gyms now still out in Colorado and was a strength coach at the Denver Broncos. So I had the fortune of, doing you know, a lot of collegiate level strength strength and conditioning when I was in college um, without having that master's degree and like seven years of internships to get there. And then working directly under you know professional level strength coaches where I was able to learn from the best, see the world's best athletes and then work with some of them myself um, really before the age of 25. So you know I can't speak highly enough of like the mentorship that I had in that regard because it helped me develop such a respect for the amount of work that they put in and how much you can learn simply by having great mentorship. Yeah, I love it. What was uh curious if you like if there was a a pivot or something that shifted where cuz you know being a kid and being around like NBA players and being able to get such great mentorship, I would imagine that there was, you know, like the the allure of oh, I could, you know, be the strength and conditioning coach for a high level maybe collegiate program or work in the pros or something along those lines. So was there, was that the path? And then you kind of recognized uh, you wanted to help more like lifestyle clients or um, what was that kind of transition like? Yeah, that was definitely the path. Like, you know, when I got into the field, I'm like, all I want to do is be like a, a collegiate or an NFL, you know, strength coach. That's what, what the goal was. Um, and I was able to do some of those aspects in the private side of it. But I also learned at the same time that, you know, as much as I love the coaching and the performance side, one I can tell was ready, you know, demoing sprint demonstrations and stuff like this all the time, like coming home with plantar fasciitis, you know, and, and just feel a little bit beat up. I'm like, you know, this is going to be tough long term. Um, but in addition, you know, when I really started getting a greater just general quantity of clients and just more experience, you know, I was working with a lot of executives, lawyers, 
um, you know, people working in the oil and energy sector in Colorado, and they would do really well when we trained together in the days when we were together. But most of them also trained when, or they, they were also traveling. They would have business dinners, a lot of cocktails, stuff like that. And I'm like, the missing element for a lot of people isn't just this training aspect. And a lot of the things that you learn directly in the books don't transfer when you have a human in front of you, right? Like that's one of the huge limitations where people like to look at particular research and be like, this is the best way to do it. It's not the best way to do it if you can't get it implemented properly, right? And so I started noticing this gap. And while it took some of those same performance principles, so people can be able to do, you know, awesome shit outside of the gym, it was a limiting factor in terms of the development that they could get. And so I started having this kind of a gradual pivot. And back when I started this, I was able, you know, we had, it was blogging back in the day, just a simple WordPress blog. I could write about a problem my client was having. I could post it on, you know, Facebook and I would get like a thousand views on a web page, right? Before like Instagram and all this stuff. And so I really just started writing down because this is how I learned. I, I write, you and I can definitely relate on that one. Um, I was just writing down the problems and the struggles my clients had, posting it. And pretty soon people were showing interest from different places, right? And at the same time, I was coaching my clients in person and then providing them more services on the back end with um, with the online side to really bridge the gap in terms of lifestyle. And so naturally, the business grew, the online coaching aspect kind of grew. And <clears throat> towards the end of my time at that first gym I was working at, this was another kind of paradigm shift or a moment for me. Um, I worked up, you know, we had like an escalating commission type structure. You start making 40% and 50 and I worked all the way up to 70%. I was the highest or second highest grossing trainer in this big gym. And they went through a managerial change, you know, didn't want to give me the GM position, which is, you know, fine or whatever, a head trainer position, give my age, but they had changed the way that we could program. It was like, all of a sudden my legs were cut out from underneath me. My income would have taken a 50% pay cut. And I wouldn't be able to program for my clients. They had like outsourced it to some, some other company. And so I'm like, I get paid less. I have zero development. I have zero safety. Like I need to double down on building my own thing because there is no protection in this industry. And so I just leaned into it a lot harder. And at that point, that's when I had, you know, still had that interest in the sport performance side, but I just kept writing and kept doing these small tasks to build my business, highlighting the things that I was learning, things I was experiencing with my clients. And the online business just kind of grew to a point where it was like, this is the thing. Like I can't keep straddling both because it's creating conflict. You know, if I'm getting published in all these major publications, um, you know, with and, and buddy heads a little bit with a mentor, and then at the same time, like you kind of have to go for it once you're starting to build. And so I kind of came to an inflection point where I'm like, I, I can't do the justice of trying to coach high performance athletics in the online space. There's too many nuances and like very specific adjustments you can make or that you need to make with people in the moment. But when it comes to more of a general population aspect and still building people that want to be able to perform, but also look great naked that I can do. And so that's where the the pivot and the shift really happened. Yeah. What are, what are some of the difference or what are some of the carryovers from what you were doing from, from a performance standpoint and then taking that and applying it to the general person that just wants to, you know, look good naked, feel good, be able to move well, uh, but they're not trying to compete at a high level. They're not trying to step on stage or anything like that. Uh, what are what are some of the things that carry over, and what are maybe some of like the major differences when you're working with an athlete versus working with somebody who just generally wants to look good, feel good? Yeah. So, big similarity number one: do do no harm, right? So, I think a lot of coaches have a tendency to. And this is natural to apply the way that they like to train directly to their clients, especially when they're newer. And 
when you are working with athletes, you do not want to do something that exacerbates an existing injury or creates a new one, right? Which means you have to be primarily focused on risk reduction and getting the most bang for your buck out of the training protocols that you use. So even if something, you know, let's say maxing out would be the best way to be able to improve strength, which can improve force production. Cool. Not if technique goes out the window and pretty soon you've got a high level athlete that has a new injury because of their strength coach, right? And so you can't help people if they can't stay consistent, if they can't stay healthy. And so the number one thing is, listen, do no harm with your clients. We have to focus on what the biological cost is to anything that we implement. So that's, that's number one, most important, because if you're not consistent, nothing else matters. But from the performance side, building a foundation of strength is absolutely crucial. Now, I'm a big fan of pyramids, like when it comes to illustrating different things, but like when you are stronger, and we can talk about like major movement patterns, squat, deadlift, all these different things. When you are stronger, it makes every other training modality typically more productive, right? Like when you're stronger for your size, you can generate more force, which allows you to propel your body through space more effectively. So running, throwing, everything for sport performance. It also improves your work capacity, meaning that if you want to bump into higher rep ranges and focus on, you know, maximizing muscle growth, perfect. You're going to be able to have a lot more bang for your buck out of your training, doing something like drop sets or really hammering that eight to 12 rep range. If you're moving sufficient weight to be able to do so. Whereas a lot of people will jump like right into some physique aspects and like find the most advanced bodybuilding workout, but they don't have that foundational component, you know, even when trying to look right naked. So those are the two things that stand out really the most. On the flip side, yeah, there are some big differences, right? So this is going to be a little bit more granular, but I think we can we can weave it together. So when you're trying to train for performance, especially like let's talk about the weightlifting component, you want to make heavyweight feel light, right? So you want to be explosive, you want to generate force, boom, that's what it's about. Conversely, when you are training more in the physique side, a lot of times what you want to do is you want to make a lighter weight feel heavy, meaning we're going to have a little bit more focus on that like eccentric tempo. What's the quality of the muscular contraction that you're getting? Do we have a mind-muscle connection going on? And so that's a paradigm shift that a lot of people really struggle to make who were athletes because they're used just to pushing the weight versus trying to train for physique, which is why and I was talking to the client yesterday. He's like, I-, I love doing squats and deadlifts being an athlete, but I really don't feel like they're the best muscle building exercises for me anymore. In many cases, that's actually what it is. And it can become quite a shift to be able to kind of pull your, your ego and your training back from like, I've got a bench squat and deadlift to like, Hey, maybe I can get a little bit more using a double incline press and a leg press and, you know, a single leg RDL, whatever the case. Um, so that's one big aspect. And then the nutrition component, right? Like working with elite level athletes, they're also, genetic freaks. Sometimes what they do nutritionally, they succeed despite what they do, not because of what they do. Um, So I've seen that quite a bit. And then, you know, when it comes to somebody looking to really maximize, you know, body composition and have a bit more of a balance, like really got to dial in things around the edges and focus on what they can do consistently and focus on the lifestyle habit component of it a lot more and chase something that they can be consistent with, not something that they're going to be perfect for for five days, completely fall off the wagon, blow out the weekend, and then they're starting back at square one. Yeah, it's funny. You made me think of the hard knocks season way back in the day when uh, Chad Ochocinco played for the Bengals and was talking about how he eats McDonald's for every meal, but yet was still yeah abs and and, and uh, in pretty great shape. So I, I've seen that play out a number of times. Um, what I'm curious is, first of all, when you mention the, so I love the comparison and and the way that you talk about like performance, we're trying to make um, heavyweight feel light. When you're talking about aesthetics, you're trying to make lightweight feel heavy. How do you, when you're, when you're working with somebody in an online capacity, how do you make sure 
that there is that muscle contraction that we need to feel that there is that mind muscle connection where you can't physically be in there in the gym to um, really kind of walk them through the technique and seeing, you know, where are you feeling this in your muscles, like all that stuff. Um, do you have a, a method for being able to make sure that those principles are being hammered home without actually being there physically? Yeah. So one of the most important things we do is, you know, we have a series of exercises that we ask our clients to film, whether they're in the gym or at home, just so we can see a basic movement diagnosis. Right. And so a lot of times we can tell a lot of what's going on, even if they're just practicing it and showing us a demonstration uh, based on motor control, you know, based on, for example, is their foot caving in a little bit on the squat and their knee is going into valgus and we're noticing some of those issues. Okay. We might have issues in terms of glute activation, whatever it is. Right. So we always do something like that so we can get eyes directly on the person. Um, and then we highlight the key cues in terms of like what we need to focus on with those movement patterns. And secondarily, we reinforce a lot of tempo-based movements into what we do. So like three-second eccentrics, one-second pause between the transition, um, and really try to teach that aspect of it. And when we when we emphasize the tempo, it can help people understand like, hey, yeah, I'm not just chasing to get these 10 reps done. It's how quality these 10 reps are and try to get the most out of it. And so tempo was one big thing that we emphasized in that regard. And then we always open the door for form checks with stuff like that. Uh, but then the third factor is, you know, we do educational calls every single week with our clients where, you know, I'm breaking down some key aspect of, of what we're doing and why and, and how it really ties into what they're doing because we want to teach people to become self-sufficient, right? Like if my clients stay with me forever, awesome. I love that. But if they have the tools to take control and get absolutely fantastic results by themselves, that's the ultimate thing, you know, for coaching. That's ultimately what we want. So we try to provide the education and the tools so that becomes a possibility um, along the way. Completely agree. Um, you also mentioned the the strength component being kind of the foundation. We're looking at like like the base of the pyramid, so to speak. And I'm curious for somebody like you can use me as an example. I've I've no interest in like PRing my deadlifts or squat. I don't even squat. Yeah anymore. Um, I care more about how I perform on a tennis court than anything else. I, I get in three days a week in the gym just to maintain the muscle that I have. But um, for somebody who does need to build that foundation, like what are the most effective ways for just the the everyday lifestyle client to build that strength capacity so that it can improve their ability to you know change their body? Like somebody who wants to maybe put on some muscle, lose a little bit of fat. Um, how do we get that base of the pyramid in place? Yeah. So what we don't want to do is just chase like heavy one rep maxes and a like, you know, bench squat and deadlifts, right? Like powerlifting had a huge impact on me and it definitely did nothing for a lot of coaches that came up um, probably around the same time that I did simply because that was just a very popular thing. We all go into different trends and they tend to set foundations. Not that anything is wrong with doing these exercises, but first and foremost, what we have to do is we have to find movement patterns or exercises within movement patterns that actually fit somebody biomechanically, right? So it's like, you don't have to do a barbell bench press. You could do a dumbbell bench press and get really strong in that. You don't have to do a deadlift off the floor. You could do a Romanian deadlift or a trap bar deadlift, which is going to be, you know, much less risk in terms of, you know, a back injury or whatever the case. So number one, we've got to find a movement that's going to be safe for you to be able to do and to start treating that like a skill, right? To develop a skill, we need to do it frequently. We need to practice how well we do it versus just chasing weight. When you treat strength like a skill, well, first and foremost, we have better motor learning, right? It's like, if you want to learn a language, instead of just doing it once every now and then, if you did like 15 minutes a day, that's going to be a little bit better. And so we can train movement patterns more frequently. We develop the skill of executing that movement pattern, which then also leads to better performance with it. Um, when it comes to a few specifics, you don't have to chase like one, two, three rep maxes or anything like that. I think I think for most people, anywhere from like four to six, 
even eight reps, you can still build a lot of really good strength with that. Um, maybe not a conventional deadlift that went two sets of eight or anything like that, but just kind of reinforcing getting stronger within those rep ranges can be very beneficial. A program that was very helpful for me, you would have to make a few adjustments off of it, but it was a uh, five, three, one by Jim Wendler, right? Like came out like what, 10, 15 years ago. And the beautiful thing about that coaching program and the way that that Jim developed it is let's say you deadlift 300 pounds or 200 pounds. You want to get it up 300 because you heard this strength foundation thing was important. Cool. What you do in that program is you train some maximally. So if you could train, if you can deadlift 200, your training max is going to be 180. Right, because you don't build strength by testing it. You build strength with great technique and gradual increases in progressive overload. And so you start with a lower, lower training number. Then you just gradually increase the intensity, increase the intensity for three weeks. Then you pull back and then you increase that weight. So it's like two hundred, then two ten, then two twenty, then two thirty. And it's a program that seems very slow in the beginning. Beginning, but if most people would do something like that for a year after getting their technique nailed down, they would be ahead of ninety nine percent of people in the gym who end up spinning their wheels and program hopping. And what do you say to the people who they they want to build a great physique? They want to you know, and whatever that looks like for the individual, I, I call it lifestyle lean. I want to I want to maintain yeah. a level of leanness where you know I can I can have a couple of drinks on the weekend and and not worry about ruining all my progress and maintain yeah with um with the assumption that in order to do that i have to spend hours in the gym every day i have to work out five six days a week and you know 60 to 90 minute sessions like what have you found to be um kind of that minimum effective dose for really kind of changing your physique into that lifestyle level of leanness yeah definitely so what i find to be best for the for the majority of people is about four days a week for 45 minutes right it doesn't have to be an hour um you can even get away with you know three days per week but I like four days per week and typically we do like an upper lower training split. And so essentially we do upper body one day, lower body the next, upper lower. And when we get that balance, the reason that that works incredibly well is let's say shit hits the fan, you're really busy, it's holiday season, you miss a workout every every couple of weeks. Okay. Well, when we have a program that factors that in, we're still getting enough frequency of training these exercises to make progress, right? Where a lot of people get messed up is they see some program by like an influencer or whatever it is, a bodybuilder. And it's like a high volume workout. It's a five day split and they can never stick with it. And pretty soon they have giant gaps in their training. I always seem to miss leg day for whatever reason. Right. And so when that happens, when your training becomes unbalanced, like that sets the table for potential injuries and frankly, poor physique development because your body does naturally want to grow in balance. Right. Like it's very difficult for it to dramatically grow one muscle group while keeping everything else the same, so to speak. For example, like if you're, you know, really try to grow your arms, but you never train your forearms, like there's going to be some point this becomes a limiting factor. You're going to have to pay more attention directly to that. So um, in terms of specifics, yeah, like four days a week, upper lower training split about 45 minutes, really four, five to six exercises is all that most people need. And just focusing on getting stronger, tracking it, assessing your progress and continuing to get a little bit better. And how about like the kind of the program hopping? Like what, what would you say for yeah. Staying in a training phase for a certain amount of time, you know, a lot of people get that shiny object syndrome. They're like, oh, this, this, my friend was doing this program and saw great results. So I'm going to jump over here. And that was definitely me early on in, in my fitness journey. It was like, I want to try, yeah, same here. try powerlifting. I want to try bodybuilding. And I was all over the place and then was wondering why I wasn't progressing like I should have been. So what do you say for kind of like training blocks and, and phases? Yeah, definitely. So this is something almost everybody goes through. So if you're listening, don't beat yourself up too much on it because we've all been there. But the important thing to understand is 
your training program doesn't like the productiveness of your workout doesn't just stop in 24 hours or 36 hours or even a week. Getting successful training programs should be blocks where it's like one physical trait can develop into the next, into the next, and into the next. And so if you're changing up what your body is doing by trying to, you know, confuse your muscles or just, you know, keep it fresh, whatever it is. Well, what happens is you never give your body the actual time to adapt to the stimulus at which you are trying to get it done. And so what happens for a lot of people is they end up working hard. They try all these different variations and they feel like nothing is working for me. But the reality is, is one, the training isn't either is in alignment with their goals or they're changing things up so often that they're not really developing any of the physical qualities beyond burning calories and sweating, right? And so that's one reason I like to focus primarily on strength development because it gives you something very concrete that you can measure and be like, am I improving here? Awesome. And then you can go from that point. Um, you know, if I look at the performance world, a lot of times if you have like a high-level athlete, let's say it's like a football player, right? Like you've got your off-season preseason, in-season, you just kind of rotate through those things, right? Well, so one phase, you might focus on things that are going to be a little bit more restorative and then some more muscle building work. Then as you start getting close to the season, it could go from strength work into power because that's going to translate directly over to speed and all the things that they do most often. And then the season, you pull back a little bit. So if you look at high-level athletes, what do they do? Well, they rotate through training different physiological qualities in different amounts, but there's a structure and a plan to the way that they do it. And what a lot of people do is they just see this workout looks fun. Let's run this for a little bit. I'm bored of that. This was really cool on TikTok. Let's run with that. And pretty soon they're sending all these different things to their body. And it's like, I'm fit, but I don't really look like I lift. And that's where a lot of people get stuck. I want to take a brief pause in this conversation to tell you all about Organifi. And you should already know about Organifi, but just in case you need a reminder, I'm here to tell you about it. Organifi First of all, I've been telling you about the Shilajit gummies from Organifi, and hopefully you listened because they sold out insanely quick, but I think they are restocking over the next couple of weeks. So I would go ahead and get your order put in now because they are very popular as I anticipated that they would be because they're a powerhouse when it comes to adaptogens. Shilajit will help you improve your energy, your focus. It's great to take before a workout, helps with digestion as well. Uh, just truly an impressive adaptogen and in gummy form, like who doesn't want some delicious gummies as well? So that's the first thing. Second thing is you should already be taking your Organifi green juice every single morning. And if not, you're missing out on a great way to start the day with something positive to build momentum, get your micronutrients in, start your day with a positive habit get something healthy into your body, and it just carries over for the rest of the day from there. Organifi Green Juice, the crisp apple, is the best tasting greens product on the market, and I have tried just about every single one out there. So I can confirm that the crisp apple is the most delicious, and bookend your day. So you start your day with some green juice, you end your day with some gold juice. Again, it's all about creating a momentum. It's all about healthy habits. It's all about things that are sustainable and easy to follow through on, keeping those commitments and setting yourself up for success. And having some gold juice, the chocolate flavor in particular, is a great way to wind down at the end of the day, get more positive nutrients and adaptogens and vitamins and minerals into your system and calm your brain down so there's less stress, less anxiety when it's time for bed. And it just helps to close out the day on a positive. For me personally, 
I appreciate the fact that it's something sweet and, and delicious before bedtime because I know that if left to my own devices, I'll just keep eating. So I like to have something that signals that it's time to stop eating. And the Organifi Gold Juice does it for me. So highly recommend that. I've also been using their collagen every morning, throwing it into my coffee. Mixes well. Um, it's You don't even notice it in there. And it is great for your hair, your nails, your skin, um, just another quality supplement. So you get 20% off all of Organifi products. So if you wanted to go ahead and get yourself some Sheila G gummies, if you wanted to get yourself some green juice, crisp apple, some gold juice, chocolate, some collagen, and really set yourself up for a powerhouse of success and, and health and positive momentum, you get 20% off everything. And depending on when you listen, you might be able to take advantage of some Black Friday stuff that they've got going on as well. But regardless, 20% off is, uh, is nothing to scoff at. It's, it's, it's a pretty sweet deal. So as a mind over macros listener, go to organifi.com slash popfam. That's O R G A N I F I dot com slash P O P F A M organifi.com slash popfam. Use code popfam at checkout and get 20% off all of their products. And now let's get back to the conversation with Eric. What would you say are, are some of like, just made me think of some of the major mistakes, program hopping being another one. Like, what would you say maybe are like the top three mistakes that you see people make with their programming, with their training when they are trying to specifically get that, you know, physique adaptation, you know, improve, get leaner, more fit, more toned, athletic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So number one is definitely program hopping. Number two is not tracking anything. And so, you know, I'm not the type of person that says like you have to track macros, you have to track any of these different components, but you generally need some level of data to determine whether what you're doing is working. And so a lot of times what I focus on is like, let's track your workouts and let's use a double progression model. So double progression would be something like this. Mike, your workout says do three sets of eight to 10 on a bench press. The first week, what you're going to do is I want you to lift a weight that you're basically failing around eight. Great. Now, what we want to do is we want to stick with that same weight, but we want to take that that rep range, and we want to gradually get you from eight to nine to 10. Once you get to doing 135 for 10, then we go back to eight reps, we bump the weight up, and we keep going that way. That's a very simple way for people to progress. You don't even have to change your exercises very often. You can just stick with that, make a couple tweaks, and you're off to the races. That's one. Um, and then the other component here would be what I call a lack of synergy. And so a lack of synergy means your training, your nutrition, and then like your lifestyle aren't in balance. Right. And so this happens a lot when people see, hey, I like this style of training, this ketogenic diet or whatever it is, like seems really cool. Let's pair them together. Right. And so what happens, and I see this a lot, you know, especially my female clientele, it's like a ton of high intensity cardio, short rest periods. And now let's go like super low carb, low calorie. And then also I'm stressed because of my mom and because I don't get enough sleep and I live on caffeine. Okay. Well, what happens here? in this case would be we have something a type of exercise that can be very stressful in the body it drives up cravings drives up stress we have a nutrition side that although it can work fairly well in the short term in terms of dropping scale weight long term can also disrupt some thyroid function increase stress on top of a very stressful foundation and pretty soon you're doing things that independently if they're paired with the right different scenarios can be healthy but because they're not 
it's running into a metabolic nightmare. And so we need to be able to pair the type of training that we are doing with the type of nutrition protocol that we are doing while keeping an eye on what our stress is like and our overall lifestyle so we can be consistent with it. Because no plan is going to work if we can't be consistent and recover from the type of training and nutrition that we're focusing on. Are you telling me that CrossFit and low-carb don't pair well together? Uh, maybe check out their local physical therapy clinic and we can probably find an answer there. Uh, that was always like a marriage, the like CrossFit paleo and then CrossFit keto. Like I, I never understood where that came from and, and why that became such a craze. But, uh, you know, there, there's been crazier things in our industry for sure. Uh, yeah, no doubt. What about for uh, like body part development for, you know, women that want to sculpt their glutes or, you know, for men that want, you know, more defined abs? Uh, what is there anything that you do in particular when there's a lagging body part or just a personal preference of I want to develop, you know, like I've been trying to develop my chest for 40 years and it still <laughs> is lagging behind. Yeah. So one thing I like to do is develop um, specialization programs, right? So a specialization program means maybe instead of like that four day workout split, we're going upper, lower, upper, lower. We're going to hit three days, primarily focused on one body part, for example, your chest and everything else is going to go on maintenance, right? Um, so specialization programs can work very well because we provide a big shock stimulus directly to a muscle, hit it with some different unconventional things while putting else, everything else is kind of on, on the back burner. That can work incredibly well. Um, just based on the fact that your training volume for a particular muscle group goes up significantly. And if you think about it, like your nutrition is what allocates resources towards building that tissue, right? And so we're allocating a lot more, a lot more points of when use like a video game reference towards bu building this particular thing. Um, while everything else goes on maintenance. And again, you can maintain body parts pretty easily, just train them hard and heavy, you know, once per week, and you're going to be okay. The problem a lot of people run into things like this is they say, I want to build this muscle. And what they do is they just keep adding on top of their regular workout, right? It's like the guy who wants to build bigger arms and he just starts adding like a bicep exercise after every single workout without adjusting nutrition. Well, you're creating more of a stimulus, but you're not giving the body any more fuel to actually have that thing grow. And then you're just going to beat yourself up. So that would be one primary thing that I like to focus on, but individually, I also look at like what type of training have they done. And so abs are one where most people, what they'll do is kind of like an eight minute abs type deal where they just smash their abs with a ton of volume and a ton of, you know, intervals and be like, Hey, how come my abs aren't showing? Abs aren't really that different from any other muscle group. They can grow incredibly well with high tension and heavy type exercises. And even some of those classic bodybuilding rep ranges. So like eight to 12, and a lot of times what happens is I'll take somebody, we'll focus, let's actually focus on maximizing the muscular contraction, doing something heavy like a cable crunch. And what happens, we build lean tissue and pretty soon, because the muscles are actually bigger, you have more visible abs and deeper cuts, even with a higher body fat percentage, which, you know, if you're talking aesthetics, you know, like it's how it looks, right? If you feel better at like 15% body fat, but you build your abs up to the point where you have some decent visibility there, cool. We don't have to diet you down to 10 to 12 um, and really negatively impact that lifestyle balance they have everywhere else. Yeah. And you started mentioning uh, the, the synergy of nutrition, training, lifestyle. Uh, you hear people throw around percentages, like it's 80% nutrition, 20% training, or it's 50, 50, and they play an equal role. Like what would you say the impact is when you look at nutrition, training, overall lifestyle, is it a hundred percent across the board? Like what's kind of your take on somebody trying to improve how they look? Is it more of an emphasis on nutrition? Um, what's your general take on that? Yeah, I mean, they all have to work together. So my general take is like, it's going to be probably the thing that the person least wants to uh, 
to change is most likely the thing that they need to change. Right. So like classic example would be, Hey, is it equal parts training, nutrition, or like, you know, lifestyle stress management? I get a lot of people who've been training for years and they don't want to give up, you know, maybe going out with the boys on Saturday night and crushing pizza and doing some of these things. And I also, you know, get six hours of sleep and drink 500 milligrams of coffee day or caffeine per day. Right. Well, doing that isn't getting you over the next hump and your training is dialed in and your nutrition is pretty good. What we need to do is like, we, we, we can't expect a level results with C or B level implementation. Right. And the way to get over that aspect is like, we have to dial up one of the things that you're doing in terms of your stress management, decrease maybe some of the fun for a little bit. If you want to get over the hump, the caveat there becomes what are you willing to sacrifice for that to happen? Right. Like, like you, and we had this conversation in uh, in Jersey, it was like, you know, we both done photo shoots and then the single digit body fat thing. We're like, you know what, <laughs> when we want to get there, like we would rather just sprint at it personally, when we do it, just get it over with because as business owners, as parents, you know, to stay like completely dialed in and do like a full basically contest prep isn't really practical or sustainable with what we want to be able to do at this point. So it comes down to those trade-offs, but often like the thing that you want to attack least is probably what you have to do most. Yeah. Is that just like a conversational thing where you kind of let somebody know, hey, the results that you want are on the other side of giving up this, you know, the the bottle of wine every week. And it's just a personal choice. You don't have to go there. You can stay exactly where you are and be happy with that. Is is that just more, you know, the individual needs to have realistic expectations and make a decision on what they want, what they're willing to give up? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's, that's such a huge piece of it. It's like, again, yeah, what are you willing to give up? If I had to pinpoint one thing that I see across the board that holds most people back, it's that sleep recovery um, overall health component that that really gets dialed in. You know, especially when people are hard charging, it's they run in cortisol, they run on stress. Um, they might not have had updated blood work. There could be something going on under the hood that's also making things difficult, which by changing some of these lifestyle components would be a necessary thing, but it might not fit into maybe the financial goals that they have or their family life as well. Yeah. You mentioned the perception sometimes with, you know, we talked about the the training perception of being in the gym five, six days a week for an hour plus. And, you know, you, you mentioned you can get away with three, you can, you can do four days a week with 45 minute sessions. Uh, where do you find that balance on the nutrition side? Cause I think that's another one where people, especially this time of year, as we're heading into holiday season, it's like, well, I can't focus on that right now because if I can't be a hundred percent dialed in, then why bother? I'll just wait until January. And we know what happens in January when everyone's yeah. ambitious goals and falls off in a month. And like, where do you find that balance on the nutrition side? Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with a client about that. It's like, listen, that all or nothing mindset, I understand where it comes from. I have many of those same characteristics myself, but you've got to ask yourself, how is that serving you in terms of your health and your wellness at this point? Right. And in cases like that, what I like to do is like, let's focus on the process during the particular season and just focus on the things that we can do, not necessarily freak out about like the actual rate of results that we're having. Right. Because if the inputs don't match what the, task requires, then we are not really setting our goals in terms of a realistic environment. And then you see set yourself up for failure from the get-go, right? And so what I like to do with my clients, and I've been talking with them, a lot of them about this is like, look at, look at the season right now. We're about to be surrounded by food nonstop for six weeks. I want you to be able to enjoy these moments. I don't want you to be thinking, what should I eat? 
do I need to work out before my Thanksgiving dinner so I can like upregulate glute four translocation or like whatever bullshit is going on, you know? And like the reality is like, no, like, you know what I want you to do for Thanksgiving? I want you to fucking eat good food. I want you to have a great time and then just get right back on plan the next day. And so for a lot of people this time of year, I'm like, you've probably been dieting for a long time. You've been try- trying to lose like this last 10 pounds for a while now. Let's pull back a little bit. Let's lean into the fact that we have more calories. Let's keep your training hard. And you know what? We're going to give you a mental break. We're going to give you a physiological break. And when things align a lot better to go full throttle, you know, in the new year, well, guess what? Your metabolic health is going to be in a much better place. Mentally, you're going to be rearing to go and you're not going to beat yourself up because, you know, you're trying to lose weight, but then you're trying to enjoy the holidays and you're not trying to have any friction at home, but then you're trying to eat differently. Right. So it's like, you've got to go with the weather a little bit to make it practical and sustainable. Yeah. And so getting a little bit more granular on that concept, would that be, you're still tracking, but you're just eating at maintenance. Would it be, Hey, we're just going to focus on maybe like a protein and calorie goal. Uh, we're going to add in maybe some, you know, untracked days or meals. Like what's kind of the process that you go through for helping somebody in that maintenance phase where, you know, sometimes that can be a struggle mentally because there's not that tangible, like, all right, I'm looking at, you know, my pictures and I'm looking at measurements to see if I'm getting leaner. It's more like you mentioned, we're focusing on the process or maybe some of the habits and Uh, What does that look like maybe from a nutrition standpoint to keep them focused on um, maintenance while still keeping them mentally in the game? Yeah. So a lot of times what we do is like, you know, we know ahead of time when we have events, when we have parties, when we have big meals, all this stuff coming up would be, Hey, on the days that you have it, like make the best choices that you can, you know, throughout the day leading up to the event, but don't let the event turn into a one or two day thing where it's like, you're just on a food bender. Right. So like keep your diet, keep your structure, keep all of those things basically the same. If you have an event, awesome. Go eat that dinner and then let's just get back on track the next day. That's a very simple thing we like to focus on. Another thing that I'll teach many of my clients is what we call our 4-4-40 muscle meal method, which is they basically have four meals per day, spread them out about four hours apart, and we want to aim for about 40 grams of protein. How much is that? Well, if we're not tracking specifically, like look at your palms, two palms, each one's probably about 20 grams of protein, maybe 25. You got bigger hands. Awesome. Like that's about the portion size that you want in terms of protein with each meal. If you focus on that, at least we're going to get going to hit our protein macro, which you know more or less helps you stay full on the good foods. It helps you restrict calories in, in other ways, just based on satiety. And so those are the two things that we emphasize. Um, how do you kind of look at the quality, like food quality? Uh, is that more of like an 80-20 thing? We're trying to get 80% whole quality food sources um, and then 20%, you know, enjoyment. We don't want to restrict anything. Kind of what's your take on balancing, uh, you know, just quality of meals? Yeah. I mean, quality meals is absolutely crucial simply because the micronutrient, you know, variety and phytonutrients, all of those things that really play such a role in terms of overall health. Um, so I generally say, listen, try to compose your meals primarily of foods that either had a face or came from the ground. If you do that, like you're going to be in a really good spot, but yeah, there's an 80, 20 perspective as well. You know, I try to be, you know, very transparent, like with the food that I eat with all my clients, like, Hey, every single Friday is pizza day. Now we make it like my wife will make a beautiful, you know, dough from scratch. Like I'll make a sauce. And like, sometimes we'll actually get like a reduced fat cheese, depending where our macros are, or even just do half of that and like a full fat and then like different, you know, meats and vegetables and and throw something together. And it's something that brings us together, but we get to enjoy pizza. Right. And so a lot of times it's like, what are these foods that you want to be able to have? And cool. 
like if they're not the healthiest, can we make slight variations of it? Because then at the same time, we're building the skill of learning how to cook, of making those adjustments. And that's something I find a lot of people struggle with. They reach for things that are convenient and you know very processed because they don't have the time or the ability to really cook something that's healthy and doesn't taste like you're chewing on a rubber tire. Yeah. What would you say on the nutrition side? You mentioned like strength being the base of the pyramid. We're looking at the training side of things. What would you say on the nutrition side um, would be that that uh, pyramid base? Yeah. I mean, it's still going to be, you know, calorie alignment in terms of whatever the goal is. Now, uh, obviously we're talking fat loss, right? Like we need a caloric deficit. That's not the entire story, but because there are a lot of mechanisms that go in, but that's the key thing. The way that I view nutrition this is how I describe it. You know, when I'm, when I'm talking with somebody is like, you know, the overall goal, yes, is to be able to limit calories in a way where we're triggering fat loss, but we want to do it in what's healthy and sustainable. And what a lot of people do is they conflate like the overall strategy, creating a calorie deficit with the tactic. And so tactics would be like keto, intermittent fasting, paleo, you know, like whatever pocket term for whatever diet is very popular. I like to view myself as a mechanic and like as a mechanic, you need to be able to use the right tool at the right time. Sometimes you need a wrench. Sometimes I need a, a hammer, whatever it is. And when you understand the key elements of these different diet eating strategies, you can apply whichever one is going to be right at the right time. And so it becomes, comes down to kind of educating my clients and giving them the tools and the skill sets where they can make a lot of these adjustments in a non-dogmatic way where they feel like, Hey, okay, I'm going to be traveling. And I know it's going to be bigger meals at night and there's going to be alcohol. Maybe what I'm going to do is like, I'm just going to shrink my eating window a little bit and do a little bit of intermittent fasting when I'm on the road. And that way I can still be mostly in alignment with my calories and still enjoy that moment at the same time. Yeah. So um, would you have like for for the traveling client, um, do you have processes that you kind of walk them through for, you know, just like a lot of people will say, just track it the best you can. Uh, you go out to eat, you have, you know, dinner with your coworkers, whatever, just put something in your, your, you know, my fitness pal app, whatever, so that you, at least you have something in place. Other people will say, yeah, don't worry about it. Like just let your meal be mostly protein and then kind of fill in your plate with the rest or, or whatever. Do, do you have anything for client? Cause we have a lot of, um, especially this time of year, but also just in general, a lot of clients that are on the road a lot or, you know, traveling for work or just have, you know, busy social lives and, I feel like that's the question that no matter how many times I do episodes on this topic, it's always, Hey, do you have any other like travel tips or quick options for yeah. things like that? Yeah. Great question. So when it comes to the travel aspect, you know, the first thing that I like to emphasize, you know, if this person is tracking macros, I say, yes, do this to the best of your ability. Understand that even when you're tracking correctly, there's probably 10 to 20% error for a lot of people. Right. But at least that way we have the ability to make somewhat informed decisions and, we have what's called the Hawthorne effect, right? Like when we know something's being observed or we're observing it, we tend to make a better choice, right? So that's like an important thing just by going through and writing down what it is, that's going to be better. Um, one thing we also provide though is we provide guides based on like what type of restaurant they're going to and what our general recommendations would be, right? So like, hey, um, like one thing I'll tell a lot of people is get the entree that you want, but like stay away from anything fried if it's not the entree, right? So like, for example, awesome. You want to get tacos? Great. Just like lay off the queso, you know, lay off the empanadas and all these other components here, focus on the main thing that you came to enjoy, and then just try to stay, make healthy choices on the outside around the fridges, right? So like, if you want to have a ribeye, cool, have a ribeye, just like maybe don't have two plates of fries with it. But the fries are the best part. <laughs> so and if you want the fries, like just maybe have some salmon instead, right? Like whatever the case. 
Yeah. yeah there's always that, that trade-off. I think that's, uh, those are the easy things like, you know, find the one thing that's like the hell yes item and then make some adjustments around that. I think that's a, a really simple approach. Um, why is it that so many people have, have a hard time with the, the morning after, like I went out to dinner, I had all my, my best of intentions were in place. I was going to get, you know, the ribeye with the salad. I, I told them no fries, but then, you know, a couple glasses of wine and then my coworker got dessert and then I, you know, ate the entire cheesecake. And why yeah. is it this morning so difficult just to put that behind you and like make a quality breakfast choice? Like, why do you feel like we, we let that spiral and go into this uh, negative feedback loop of, you know, here we go again, another failed attempt, uh, you know, why bother and all that negative self-talk? Yeah. All right. Let's try something real quick. All right. Mike, lemon, 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 lemon. Do not think about a lemon. What are you thinking about right now? Lemon. <laughs> exactly. Right. So like we have a tendency to really beat ourselves up over something that we're trying to change. This could be any habit. It doesn't even have to be food related. Right. And like we keep it top of mind and then we continue festering on the same thing. Like don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then it stays top of mind and inevitably it happens. Okay. And so what I find for a lot of people is it comes down to the all or nothing perspective that we talked about previously. And we have to ask, what do we want to be true? Like, how did that mindset serve you? And has that led us here? And so what we need to think about is like shifting our paradigm in terms of how we approach things from the get-go from that perfectionist component and think about how can we fit these other components into our life in a, in a really practical, sustainable matter. Um, so like if you're beating yourself up, up over a diet or a strategy like that would be like, listen, grab your journal, write down like how you're feeling about it. And then just, again, like let's focus on having a sustainable plan for what we're going to eat regardless. Like I try to automate as many meals as I can. And I like to cook, but the reason is if I leave it to choice and then I've upregulated ghrelin and maybe I'm hungover, whatever it is after, you know, sugar hangover, alcohol hangover, whatever it is, I'm not going to be likely to make a good choice. But if I have that option directly in front of me and I don't have that, I don't have to make a choice, I'm going to go right back to default, which is a healthy default that we want. And so I think that's a huge component of it. Um, of really strict, you know, if we can automate just more of those decisions on the back end, then that decision fatigue really goes away. And taking it a step further, right? Like psychologically speaking, there's no way faster to kind of hurt credibility with yourself is than like making promises to yourself and breaking them, right? Like that's where people really struggle with overall self-belief. And it's like, shit, I did it again, right? And so what we have to do with that is like acknowledge it, acknowledge it. you weren't perfect, but don't create a lot of guilt around that aspect. And that's where a lot of people struggle is like they have a lot of guilt around food when they're not perfect with it. And then they just keep reverting back to that same pattern because they're like, oh, well, I already did this. I might as well keep doing it. Right. It's like, we've got to be able to shift that. And the best way to shift that would be, yeah, first write down journal how you feel, but then we want to automate kind of that next meal where we don't have to really think about trying to make that better decision because it's already staring at us in the face. Yeah. I love that. And then like rebuilding that self-trust of, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go get, you know, have a glass of water. That's, that's my first commitment follow through. I'm going to go for a five minute walk done. I'm going to have a healthy breakfast. And now all of a sudden you've kind of made more deposits in that self-trust bank account than, than you withdrew from the one decision you made the night before, um, to get back in, in good graces with yourself. Um, yeah, so I think, I think a lot of people, um, overcomplicate this whole, like I always say, like getting fit, staying fit, 
it's it's simple. It's just not easy. Um, but a lot of times, the reason why it's not easy is because we make it more complicated than it needs to be. We we look for the magic pill or the missing thing or what's the one secret. If you had to like distill all of this down, we we've covered a lot of ground here. If you're like, hey, if you're just like an average person, you want to look good, you want to feel good, um, just do this when it comes to training, nutrition, and lifestyle. Like, what are the basics that get you most of the way there? Yeah. So basics, right? Like, let's just start with the morning. When you wake up, have 20 ounces of water. As soon as you wake up, it's going to help improve cellular health. Can you give you a little bit more energy and your stomach gets full on volume, not calories. So we start with something like that. It's going to help you regulate hunger for the rest of the day. And then we just want to keep drinking water as much as we can. Um, each day, if you have a step count, go for eight to 10,000 steps. If you can't get that many because of your job or whatever it is, go for three 10 minute walks per day. One ideally around sunrise. Um, again, I do this with, you know, a three-year-old and with a business to run, I do one at lunch right after I eat. And then I do one with a family after dinner, right? Something like that just kind of helps you improve overall health and gives you a way to connect physically with those that you care about. We want to talk about being specific in the gym, focus on what you can do when life is chaotic, not what you will do when life is perfect. For most people, that's going to be something as simple as like three or four days per week. And it could be even 30 minutes per day. That's going to be the most important thing because you can't optimize a habit until you're consistent with it. And a lot of people try to optimize before they're ever consistent. When it comes to your meals, try to focus each time that you eat on having on eating something that either had a face or it came from the ground, meaning having something that's like, you know, a protein base and a fruit or a vegetable. If you do that as a foundational piece, you're moving a lot more, you're getting hydrated, which is going to help you regulate, you know, appetite. You are going to have that consistent aspect of your weight training and your nutrition will be dialed in. Final thing would be go to bed and wake up at the same time every single day of the week. If you are going out, staying up late, and then trying to get up early on Monday and wonder why you're behind, it's because you're effectively giving yourself jet lag. And that's going to make it much harder to stick with any plan that you set forth. I love it. Simple, just not entirely easy, but it can be. Like It actually can be if you just stop looking for the thing, the missing thing, just really dial in on those foundational habits and you execute that for a really long period of time and you'll be blown away at your results. Um, Eric, I appreciate all the wisdom that you brought to the show. Um, I would love for you to let everybody know how they can stay connected with you, where they can learn more about your work and um, if they're interested in in working with you in, in any capacity uh, where they can do that as well. Yeah, definitely. So best place to communicate would be over on Instagram at Bach Performance, B-A-C-H. Performance, um, no known relation to the composer. I really should have choos- chosen a different name when it came to uh, developing the business for SEO reasons, but you know, can't relive that one. Um, if you enjoy the podcast format, we have the Look Great Naked podcast. You would enjoy that. Mike, we will get you on shortly and we'll have a great time there. Um, finally, if you are interested in any aspect of coaching, reach out on Instagram and send me the word lean and we will reach out on what the next steps look like. Awesome. I appreciate your time. Always great to connect and uh, we'll chat soon. Sounds good, brother.